You know, in this podcast, I usually do things that are encouraging and inspirational just to provide something different than what you normally listen to in the news. But today, we want to talk about something that is relevant, and maybe it's not so inspirational, but uh, hopefully we can turn this thing around for you today. Welcome to my take. Well, it's not my take, it's Miguel Crespo's take. Whatever. For inspiration to go. Welcome to my take. Pastor Crespo here. My take is your oasis of inspiration and hope in the desert of negativity and despair. Thank you for being a member of the My Take family. Thank you for joining the podcast. Well, today we're going to do something different. Usually I'm the one here talking and sharing. Today we're going to have an interview with somebody smarter than myself. If you've been watching the news, if you've and 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 finding somebody smarter than myself, listen, that was hard. I'm just I'm just letting you know it wasn't that easy, but I found someone. <laughs> uh, Today, we want to talk about something that's relevant. And as I said in the intro, you know, I try to find things to be encouraging, try to find things to laugh at, and, and then go into the Scripture. But today, we're dealing with something that's not anything we want to be laughing at. We're dealing with some serious stuff. You know, if you've been watching the news, you've been watching what's been happening over in the Middle East with the war between Israel and Hamas. And you also know that uh, I, I shared something in a previous podcast uh, a little while back on it, but, you know, I think I touched on it just a little bit, and I want to spend more time on it. So today I want to introduce you to a, a, a special guest, a friend of mine. His name is Pastor Dustin Hall. Now, Pastor Hall, I want to, I want to welcome you to the podcast. How are you doing today? Good, thank you. How are you? Good, good. <laughs> well, for those of you that don't know Pastor Dustin, Pastor Dustin is a, is a friend, he's a colleague. Uh, I have, and we started in ministry about the same time, so I've gotten a chance to know him. I actually have the distinction of almost, almost delivering one of his babies, or, well, one of his <laughs> wife's babies, right? <laughs> well, I don't think she was too uh, in line with your thinking there. No, I she think was. So. Well, I, I offered uh, anyways. You, I had I had my tools with me for that day, but anyway. That's another story. They weren't doctor. Time. They weren't doctor related. They weren't doctor. <laughs> they weren't related. sterilized they either. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, Pastor Dustin is, of course, he's a minister. He's an evangelist. He's an author. He has helped uh, bring energy and passion and revitalization back to churches. He's a man who loves God, and. I wanted to talk with Dustin today. Pastor Hall, I wanted to talk to you today about what's happening over there in Israel. You know, um, I, I, you and I had talked earlier privately about this, and that's what has kind of led to us doing this podcast. But I, I want to ask you have, you, have you been paying attention? Have you been keeping up with what's happening over there? I have. I've been, you know, stunned to see what, what's happening there, and, and along with a lot of people, heartbroken at the tragedy of the loss of life um, in Israel and the, the brutality that was shown in Israel, but also the loss of life on the other side as well as innocent people are losing their lives as Israel does what they feel they need to do in order to fight back against the terror group. So it's just heartbreaking all, all around and tragic and many things to shake our heads at and, and even weep over. I mean, it's, it's, it's violent, and one of the things that makes it so difficult is it's such a small area of land with so many people in it, millions of people, 
in an area that's about the same size as the state of Maryland. It's hmm. uh, five or six million people cramped into those cities in a state just just about the size of Maryland. And uh, it's, you know, it's tragic. The 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 thing that's interesting, you, you talk about that. I, I, I guess I I didn't really kind of think of it, picture it that way, but the size of it compared to the amount of people in it compared to the amount of attention that the world is giving to it. It's, it's mm-hmm. just incredible. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, Pastor, I, I have had quite a few people uh, come and speak with me and ask me questions, you know, what does this mean in terms of, you know, its connection to the Bible and connection with the last days? Have, have, you, have, you, heard, have you heard people talking about this in your circles? Is this something that is kind of, you know, uh, fomenting, I guess, and I don't know if I'm using that word properly, but is this something you're hearing about in, in, in the conversation of people around you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's dominating the news cycle. And anytime where there is war and violence happening in any part of the world, but especially something that's dominating the news cycle of uh, around the world, but especially here in the United States, yeah, people are interested in it. And they're wondering what it means and what relationship it has to the Bible, if any, and uh, is it fulfilling prophecy and uh, just all these questions, you know, should we, we be worried about it? How do we have courage and hope? in a time like this. So uh, definitely people wondering all those things. Well, let's talk about that. I guess that that's the point of this podcast. What is, or how do you see the relevance between what is happening over there right now and the Bible between that and, and let's say, you know, I, I, even people who are atheists, you know, I'm, I'm, I like podcasts. I like watching podcasts. But even people who are atheists are are beginning to wonder what does this mean? I mean, they're they're scared. They're they're saying I'm afraid. So, can you talk to me a little bit about your own thoughts as you've been thinking about this and and the biblical relevance that it has? So, there's really kind of three areas and three fronts to think about it and to understand it. One is the geopolitical side of it, which means what does this mean for world the world and its politics. The next side is what is the Bible biblical relevance and is there any insight the Bible gives us into what's happening and, and does it play into future events? And then there's the other side, which really complicates it, especially here in the United States and also over there in Israel. What role does Israel play? What role do the Jews play in the way the world ends or end time events before the return of Jesus. So it's really those three areas that really are playing a part of this. And just to give, if people aren't really familiar with with it, um, this has been a conflict that's being been fought since ancient times. Uh, that land there has been disputed over for thousands and thousands of years by different people groups Uh, People like the Canaanites and the Philistines and the Jews. And uh, more recently, it's the Palestinians and what's called the Palestinians because they were moved to that side and Israel. And just to give people a little outline of the geopolitical events outside of biblical understanding, and hopefully without political bias, I'm trying to do this without any political personal bias. Basically, what's happened is... um, Around World War I, England declared that they would establish an official state for Israel. So they were going to establish an official 
land just for the Jews, and this appeased a growing group of people called Zionists. And Zionists are people who believe that the Jews have a spiritual right to the promised land, the land that God spoke to Abraham about and promised him uh, all those years ago. And so they believe that, that the Jews have a right by God to live there. And so when England did this during World War I, it appeased that group of people. And Zionists exist in Israel today, but they also exist here in the United States, and some of them are evangelical Christians, which I'll get back to here in just a few minutes. So that happened around World War I, and uh, at the same time, they ruled that Jerusalem would be neutral. They said no one nation should, should rule Jerusalem because it's significant to so many different groups. It's significant to Muslims, Jews, Christians. It can't be run by any one government or nation. It has to remain in the hands of neutral party. That's interesting. So, I was wondering. Um, I was wondering how that came about. How that Jerusalem became that. So that was right from the jump that they decided that. Okay. Yeah, right. Right from about World War One when they started drawing these borders. Okay. The problem is when you start drawing borders, you also start pushing people outside those borders. And so once those, the borders of the Jewish state was, were drawn, the Pal Muslims and others were pushed out of their homes and, and what they believed to be their land. And so as World War II ramped up, many Jews who were fleeing Nazi regime and Nazi, you know, the Holocaust, they actually fled to Israel. So you have already a very small area of the world and now you have millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people fleeing Nazi influence and Nazi persecution and coming into the state of Israel. So the population boomed, and now you have even greater conflict as the years are going on. So in 1947, the official, official lines were drawn that would establish a Jewish state and an Arab state. And the Arabs or the Palestinians rejected the resolution and that began massive fighting because it meant that people would have to move out from where they were living. Um, Israel was backed by foreign powers, and they won the initial war. And the Gaza Strip, which is about a 140-mile strip of land by the Mediterranean Sea, so it's on the western border there, is home to about 2 million people. And a 140-mile strip is home to 2 million people. So that gives you an idea of how, why this is so dangerous. This is yeah. going on. Yeah. Uh, the West Bank, which is the West Bank of like the Jordan River, um, in the story interesting in Genesis where Abraham and Lot divide the land, if people want to read, read into that, this, this all is part of that story. Uh, the Gaza Strip, or the West Bank, is about 2,200 square miles, and that is home to about 3 million people. So it is a high population, high density of people in disputed places. And then in 1967, Israel fought and took more land than the map allotted to them. So they kind of infringed on their own agreement that they had made and took more land from the Palestinians than what they were supposed to, which caused a Palestinian response. And then from 1987 to 1993... There was a prolonged uprising among the Palestinians 
And eventually under President Clinton, there was supposed to be this agreement where Israel would withdraw back into the original borders that were drawn and the Palestinians would get some of that land back. It didn't go quite as planned, but it was somewhat successful. And it's so it's disputed to this day. And modern day Muslims believe that anyone who is a true Muslim, that land is their spiritual right. So anybody, doesn't matter what your race or your background is, Muslims believe that that land is yours. Jews believe that it belongs to the Jews. So you have this massive bloody warfare going on for a little tiny, tiny, tiny portion of land in the Middle East. And I heard somebody say that Israel, the state of Israel, if you were to take a matchbook and put it in the corner of Arlington or AT&T Bank Stadium in Texas, that's where the Dallas Cowboys play, Mm -hmm. if you were to take a matchbook and put it in the corner of that stadium, that represents the proportion between Israel and the entire world. That's how small it is. Yeah. So <laughs> all of this bloodshed for that little tiny piece of yeah, land. Yeah. Wow. A lot of history there. Uh, so okay. So we 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 have this this thing that the it's a land dispute between these two nations, and of course, you know, we go in the Bible and and we see where they took over Canaan way way back when, and and. That's what this land is, and and we know that these people, for example, the Palestinians and and some of the other nations surrounding Israel, that they are the descendants of some of the ancient enemies of Israel, and so these mm-hmm. these uh, battles, these animosities, go back for thousands of years. Now, let's let's talk a little bit though about the biblical relevance. Now, you know, uh, I. That within, for example, the books of Ezekiel and other places in the Old Testament, we read prophecies about Israel. And we read prophecies about Israel, for example, when they were disobedient to God, bad things happened. That they were taken over by their enemies, they were dispersed, they were kicked out of their homeland, and then eventually under the Persian Empire, they came back, they resettled. But things didn't, you know, eventually things changed, they turned away from God again, and now... Um, there came a point where Israel kind of was dispersed throughout, I guess you could say, pretty much the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, I, I find Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel interesting. My reading of it, if I was to kind of summarize parts of it, is that God's original plan for Israel, his original plan for Israel was for it to become a world superpower, for it to be so rich and well-known, even having a, a river coming from the temple, I think it was going to go to the Dead Sea, or I can't remember where it was going, but it was supposed to even have healing properties in the waters. But they were supposed to be so well-off that people would look to it and ask, how is it that you're doing so great? And they were then at that point to point them to their God. But that never happened. That God's original plan never happened. And part of it is that you know Jesus came and, and he was rejected. The gospel went to the Gentiles, not only for them to receive it, but also to be promoters of it. And But here, I, when we're talking about Israel and its biblical relevance, there is, it seems, several different camps where people look at these prophecies and they say that they are still, these prophecies are prophecies, and so they're still relevant. 
what's your take on that? How do you how do you interpret that, especially for people that are not Jewish? They don't study. They're not Christian. They don't really know what the Bible says. But but everyone seems to say behind kind of in between the lines, you're reading that there's biblical relevance here. How do you how do you help us understand that? So what you're saying is is really relevant on a couple of different fronts. Um, one is the fact that there are Zionists in our government who believe that Israel has a spiritual right, so their policy informs how they relate to what's going on in the conflict. And they see those prophecies in Ezekiel that you just referenced as they must come true in order for Christ to come and his kingdom to be rebuilt. So there's that end of it. The other end of it is the fact that what you said about Israel is correct. They were supposed to be this shining example of a society, but what they have missed or what they missed along the way is that the whole reason and existence for them as a people, it was never, ever, biblically, if you read it correctly, based on their genetics. It was never based on their bloodline. Abraham was a man who left his homeland by faith. He was not a Jew. In fact, the word Israel does not even come up until Genesis 32, which is much, much long after Abraham actually even lived. Abraham was a, just a guy who God gave a promise to. He was an old man. His wife was older. She was beyond childbearing years. And God said to them both, you're going to have a son. Leave your homeland. Follow me. Believe in me. Trust in me. I'll take care of you. I'll give you a place to live. I will prosper you. I will give you a son. And through that son, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so the reason for Abraham's story in the Bible is to show that God was always looking for a people that would trust him and love him. And through that trust and love, the world would be influenced. So it was always about their faith. Down through the generations, the Jews began to believe that it was about their bloodline, their genetics, and their behavior. So they believed that by their works, through their actions, God would bless them. They believed that because they were Abraham's children, that God would make good on these promises, and they forgot Abraham's story. And Abraham's story was one of faith and trust. And so the reason God wanted to bless Israel was that he wanted them to be a shining example to the world of what happens when people put their full faith and trust in him. And they perverted that and made it about themselves. And so those prophecies in Ezekiel are what we call conditional prophecies. And many of them... If you turn back to me, this is what will happen. But we know that the Jews did not respond by faith in God, but instead said, this is about our bloodline, this is about our behavior, this is about our works. And so those things were not fulfilled. And God always knew that they would fail. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like to say that, um, you know, they, they were content to be, have the blood of Abraham 
when they were really supposed to have the heart of Abraham. And, and that's mm-hmm. where some of this, uh, some of this confusion has come up. And, and I don't know that a lot of people realize that there are prophecies in the Bible that are conditional, that not every prophecy that God has given comes to pass because there are conditions mm-hmm. set on it. There are some things that no matter what you do is going to happen related to Jesus, related to the second coming, it's happening. But there are prophecies in the Bible that are conditional. And if you don't meet those conditions, then it doesn't happen. So that that's an mm-hmm. interesting take that I don't know that some people often, you know, think about. So let, let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, this is this is not to this is not to bash Israel. This is not to 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 no. kind of hate on Israel. But the question sometimes comes up and says, okay, well, if this did not happen, does it mean now that Israel is no longer part of God's family? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. So this is kind of where you have to separate the geopolitical side of it from the biblical side of it. Um, there may be reasons why you support Israel politically. There might be reasons why we look at that scenario over there and say the U.S. has to intervene in order f- to protect the rest of the world from X, Y, Z. Or you may see it a different way and say, no, the, the U.S. is overstepped and they need to, to stay out of it. So that that's one conversation. But what we need to do is look at the Bible and say, okay, biblically, what is the role of Israel and how are we supposed to view this? Um, and what happened is that, you know, Jesus was a Jew. The apostles were Jews. So they haven't lost their favor with God. It's just that they have misunderstood, and many Christians have even misunderstood what their role and purpose was in Old Testament times and what it is to this day. And uh, the, the greatest example of this misunderstanding in, many, in the lives of many evangelical Christians is what was popular in the early 2000s, that Left Behind series. So mm-hmm. the, the, the series of books that became kind of cheesy movies, <laughs> they were pretty poorly <laughs> produced. Um, but it was, this, it was based on this belief that actually really originated during the 1800s that God had plan A, and plan A was the Jewish people, and plan A failed. So, um, but God made all these promises to plan A, so he's got to figure out a way in order to fulfill those promises to plan A. So because plan A failed, he needed a plan B, and plan B is the church, so Christians, uh, Jewish, non-Jewish, whatever. And so God sent all the blessings that he intended Israel to receive, he sent it on the church, onto Christians. But because God made all of these promises to Israel, he and the church is receiving them all right now, he's got to get the church out of the way first in order to fulfill what he promised to ancient Israel. So they, that's where this idea of the rapture or the secret rapture came from, in that God had to get the church out of the way of the blessings of the ancient Jews so that they could again receive the blessings at the end. So what that teaches is that you have all these people, um, all these calamities and events happening in world history, and then all of a sudden the church just disappears out of thin air, they're taken to heaven somehow. Do they just disappear? Their clothes are left folded. You know, planes <laughs> crash because airline pilots are gone. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of a sudden there's this huge disappearance of true Christians. 
leaving Israel and the Jews and the rest of humanity, Israel again receives the blessings that God intended in the beginning, and then hopefully their hearts are converted in the last several years of earth's history before God puts an end to it all. So um, that's where it's really important because there's even, even some people, even in our own government, who are strict evangelical Christians who believe that. They're not necessarily staunch right. Zionists, but they believe so much in the role of literal Israel in end-time events that they're supporting some of these policies because they believe that the blessings are going to fall back. The original ancient blessings are going to fall back on the literal Jews. Right. And what we have to do is dig into our Bible and see what Jesus said about who real the true Israel is now right. and who Paul said the true Israel is now. That's, That's right. what's important. That's right, and and of course, you know we're 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 getting we're getting into deep stuff here. I, I would encourage if if you uh, want to know more, email me mytakemc at gmail .com. I can get you in touch with Pastor Dustin. Would love to to share some of these things with you because there is a lot of depth here. But let let me ask a question here. So we 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 got we got I think a good foundation to understand a little bit about this conflict. Questions that people are having on their mind is the war between Israel and Hamas, a sign of the end? Okay, so yes, but not in the way you think. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is, Jesus said that in the last days, there would be wars and rumors of wars. And he also said that it would be like the, the days of Noah. And uh, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, the Bible said, describes the days of Noah, and it says that their, the thoughts of their hearts were wicked continually. So there was widespread violence in the days of Noah, there were wars being fought, there was torture and, and all kinds of inhumane practices amongst humanity. And so in that way, this conflict is a sign of the end. Like all other conflicts across the world are signs of the end. And the Bible says that as time goes on, there will be an escalation of intent and, and an intensification of these wars and natural disasters and things that are going on. But as far as unique unique significance as if this is an event that specifically leads to the end? No, it's one of the things that are supposed to warn us that the end is near, but it's not the one thing that so many people believe it to be. Yeah, and I, I think where the confusion is, is if a person believes that those prophecies you were talking about as it relates to Israel, that there were not conditional, but in other words, were uh, I don't know what the word would be that they're going to happen. In other words, they're they're not conditional. They are whatever God says is going to pass, come to pass for little Israel. When they see these things happen over there in the Holy Land, then they automatically see these type of of um, this biblical significance. You know what I've been hearing is some of, some of these. I just heard today uh, uh, someone online preaching about. Um, last day events and using what's happening in Israel and talking about the king of the north attacking and saying that that's going to be Russia. And But the thing that struck me is that this pastor was jumping from one text one place to one text in another place. 
creating a narrative that if you add these verses together, yeah, it sounds like what he's saying is true, but he was pulling Bible texts out of context and -hmm. not looking at the larger theme of the verses. And so if you believe that Israel, the, the nation of Israel is still the recipient of those prophecies, then you might look at this and say, oh yeah, this is what it is. But if you're seeing spiritual Israel, because that's what you, when you refer to Paul, Paul referred to spiritual Israel. Well, let's talk about that for a bit. When you, when there's, there's literal Israel, the nation of Israel, people who are citizens of Israel, the nation, and then there is spiritual Israel. Can you just, what's, what's the difference between the two, Pastor? Yeah, that's what's significant. And it's what gets us out of that plan A and plan B thinking uh, that I referenced a few minutes ago. God never has two plans. He always has one plan. Amen. And um, God, this is the incredible thing. God chose Israel to be his witnesses, to be his examples of what humanity could be in a society. But he knew all along that they were not going to fulfill that. He gave them those blessings and those chances. And even still to this day, if Israel was converted, I think God would fulfill some things through them and it would influence the world. But God, throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament, hinted, or not even just hinted, came right out and said, there is a truer, better Israel. And so Jesus, there's one example in the, in the, in the New Testament, in John chapter 8. Jesus is speaking to the, the Jews. And, uh, you know, the, he kind of has this back and forth with them. And uh, they said, well, who are you to tell us? Who are you to talk to us? We, Abraham is our father. You think we don't know better? <laughs> and Jesus looked at them and he said, you are not of your father, Abraham. If you are of your, wow. you, you're actually of your father, the devil, he says. <laughs> it says, if you were truly Abraham's children, you would love me. You would love me, he says. So in other words, what he's saying is Abraham's faith was a faith that pointed toward the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. So that belief and that faith should have led literal Israel to see and accept Jesus. And what Jesus is saying there is, true Israelites are Christians. Whether that was before Jesus came or after Jesus came, true Israelites are Christian people who have faith in the one true God. And then Paul takes it one step further in Galatians chapter 3, in his book called Galatians chapter 3. And he says, if you've been baptized into Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and you are heirs according to the promise. Mm. So he's saying that, again, that the true children of Abraham, it's not a family based on bloodline, It's not a family based on genetics or heritage. It's a family based on faith. And and so true Israel is the church, but it, it gets even better and more interesting than that. If you read through the Old Testament, there are many different cases where God uses the word Israel. And when we think of Israel, we think of a people group. But he uses the name Israel in a singular. And what's really interesting, and I don't want to get too technical, but every time in the Old Testament where the word 
Israel, the name Israel is used, the name is in the Hebrew form of a singular male. A singular male in translation. So, so many people throughout the generations and the ages have been thinking, this is a people group. But God has been talking about a single male figure that would be the true Israel. And that and is? So, and that is Jesus. And um, in, in Matthew, in, in Matthew, there's this verse right in the beginning. It's uh, Matthew chapter 2. So um, Matthew he references a bunch of Old Testament prophecies that, that have to do with the Messiah, and he applies them to Jesus. And one of them is, he says, And out of Egypt I called my son, and this was to fulfill what the prophet had said. And the prophet he's talking about is Hosea from the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of years before that. And everybody thought that that was referring to when God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus story. But what Matthew does is he applies that prophecy to when Jesus was a baby boy, and to save him from Herod, he sent him into Egypt, and the angel eventually, when it was safe, called the true Israel, Jesus, out of Egypt. And then in Luke chapter 4, it gets even better. This is one of my favorite topics because it's just fascinating. <laughs> in Luke chapter 4, the first time we see Jesus as an adult go into the synagogue, they ask him to read from the, the scroll of Isaiah. And he could have read any verse, any passage. And he opens up to Isaiah uh, chapter, let me look, let me find this. Uh, oh, it's Isaiah chapter 60 or 61, I believe. And it's the, the passage that all the Jews believed, was. they referred to it as the servant of the Lord. And they applied that to all of them, the nation of Israel, to all of them. And that's the passage that says, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has called me to open the, 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 uh, the eyes of the blind, to lead the captives free, Mm -hmm. to set at liberty those who are their captive, to, to make the, the lame walk, acceptable the blind see. The year of the Lord, yeah. The acceptable year of the Lord. And then he says, this scripture today has been fulfilled in your hearing. So, and he sits down, he closes the book, and everybody's just staring at him like, what? What did you just say? Because, they, <laughs> yeah. And he was referring to himself. They always thought that that was about them as a people. And he says, no, this is about me. So remember, this was always about faith. This was always about promise. This was always about belief in God. The purpose of the people of Israel was to point toward faith and belief and total trust in God. And so Jesus comes along, and he is the proof. He is the central figure to what the purpose of Israel always was, which is why, which is why uh, Paul can come along and say, the true faith of Abraham, the true family of Abraham, are those that believe in Jesus, because that's what Israel has always been about all along. Yeah, yeah. So, all along. 
So, so I think, you know, the, the idea of if, if a person is looking at this issue in the news and is trying to make sense of it, there are a couple of things that you should take away, right? One is there is this geopolitical issue. That, that, that's one issue. It's a, it's a land issue between two peoples that dispute the land and have been fighting one another forever. Then there's obviously the biblical relevance. But if you want to understand that, like you're saying, that you need to know the difference between the children of Abraham, the children of, of Israel, uh, of Jacob, and then there is spiritual Israel, that we now believe that a person who accepts Jesus by faith really becomes a fulfillment of that, that sp- those promises that were made to Israel are really made to those people. But the Israel is Jesus. Jesus is, right. is that Israel, right? So yep. it is not to say that the, that, the, that the Jews are somehow rejected or not wanted or not loved by God, but what it means is those promises are not about the bloodline. It's about the heart line. It's not about mm-hmm. who, what nation you're a citizen of, but what, what family you are a member of. And so— mm-hmm. If you understand those promises, then then you look at those prophecies a little bit different. But let, so Dustin, let, let's get to let's get to kind of like maybe a couple of more questions here because, all right. So I don't want to get so so worked up about what's happening over there necessarily because, as you said, it is a sign of end times, but it's also not a sign of the end times, which is a, mm-hmm. a, a great. You should be a politician, brother. That was a good political answer. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> but no, no, I get it. Uh, let me, what what are signs that tell us that we are near the end? What are other signs that tell us we're near the end? Um, there's a number of passages in the Bible that talk about that. And um, they all go back to the human condition. They all go back to a heart issue in humanity. And so there are passages that refer to the selfishness of people, uh, disobeying of parents, uh, perversity, um, lying, cheating, stealing, hardness of people's hearts, conflict. And then there are signs in nature that are, you know, uh, natural disasters, earthquakes, forest fires, uh, things in the stars and in the heavens, unexplained things in the in the heavens, um, even to the point where I think you know in Revelation it, it refers to uh, maybe even propaganda going out in the world that you can't even trust what you're seeing in front of your eyes and your ears. So it all goes back to the heart of man and the escalation of the hardness of our hearts and the selfishness and the pride that results in wars, um, you know, uh, polarization amongst mankind. I think uh, that also refers to racial tensions and racism. It, it, it pulls in all of these social issues that we're seeing right in front of our eyes. Mm-hmm. We're seeing mm-hmm. these things play out. Uh, forest fires, people say, well, there's always been forest fires. But if, if you look at the record of recorded history, you see that we're having more forest fires, and they're far more intense than they ever were. Uh, yeah. Same with earthquakes and, and things like this. The bottom line is that when, um, when sin entered the world, it was given an expiration date. It could only last just so long. 
and we were going to wear it out and humanity was going to so degrade ourselves that we are going to continue to tumble in this sinful pattern. And also the environment could only last just so long. Mm. And so between those two things, life just becomes incompatible. And so Jesus says at the end, you're going to see this incompatibility more and more evidently in front of your eyes and know that the end is near when you see that. And I think we're seeing those things pretty clearly right now. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think, you know, the things, everything you were talking about, I, the confusion, deception, this increased wickedness. I mean, I, 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 was, I was in the Philippines during the month of October doing a, a, an evangelistic series down there. When, and of course, where I was at, the internet was super spotty, you know, and, and I was focused on just, you know, preparing the messages every night. But when I got back, I had to go to a meeting and in that hotel room, I was turning on the news and pastor, everything that was in the news was horrible, negative, just heartbreaking, evil. And I just, I don't know. It just, it felt so disgusting. I had to turn off the TV. I couldn't even watch Mm -hmm. the news. And I guess when you're here, you become desensitized to it. But when you get away from it for a while and you come back, everything is negative. Everyone hates everyone. And it's not just wickedness. It is wickedness that people say is good. You know, they call evil good, and they're calling good evil, and it's just Mm. normal. It's out, out in everybody's face. So I think, you know, yeah, we are living in the times of the end. I don't know how much worse it can get. There's um. There's a quote that is attributed to the wife of Billy Graham, and it says this. It says, if the Lord does not return soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Because, you know, it's just just incredible, incredibly horrible what's happening out there these days. All right. Uh, Let me me get to the the kind of—we're kind of nearing the end of the podcast here, Pastor. There are people that are afraid. There are people. There are people that are scared, and I. I want to know what do you have to share with people who are living right now and are just having these. They're confused. They're concerned. They're afraid. It's just you know, they think that we're just gonna. This is gonna go up in one nuclear ball of, of radiation, and we're all gone here. What can you share in this podcast to help? people who are kind of in this kind of mental uh, situation right now? Yeah, so there is the the physical, and then there's the spiritual. And the good news of what we've been talking about is the fact that God has hundreds of promises to Israel for his protection in times of trouble. And what we've just studied tonight or today is that God, we now, believers in Jesus, people that put their trust in Jesus, receive the protection that God has promised his people since ancient times. So if we put our faith and our trust in God, there is a physical protection that God provides us. Now, does that mean that we will never suffer hardship or will never suffer heartbreak? No which is where the other part of this comes in, in that when we put our hope and our trust not in ourselves, 
not in politicians, not even in our doctors, even though doctors are good and they help us. We put our faith and our trust in Christ alone, in Jesus. That gives us a peace that passes all understanding. And what that means is people can look at us in times of hardship and trial and say, how can you have so much hope? How can you maintain your happiness? How can you have peace when the world's going crazy around you or you're, you're suffering through this illness or there are things going on in your life? And that's because we know that there is a deeper story. There is a truth that is more rock solid than any of the craziness that can be going on around us. So there is a physical protection that God promises his children. And I believe that as time goes on, God's going to fulfill that because the world is going to go crazy. And God says, I will shelter you under the cover of my wings. I will be with you for people who are faithful. He will protect us. That doesn't mean we won't face hardship, but he will ultimately protect us. But at the same time, that Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble. And But fear not, I have overcome the world. So he's also saying to us, when we do face hardship or heartbreak, uh, he will be there with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I will give put a peace and an assurance in your heart that he's won the victory, that he's got it taken care of, so that no matter what happens to us or what happens around us, we can have faith and hope that we're going to see each other again. We're going to see him again. We are going to be able to with peace, understanding, and hope face no matter what this crazy world throws at us. Amen, amen. I, I, I um, resonate with that. You know, all the things, the tragedy, the horrific, the killing, the, the, the torture, all the things that have happened is just horrific, and is, there's nothing redeeming, nothing good, nothing that can be defended there. But if one thing can come from that, if a person has their attention, if, if this gets their attention, then they need to know there is only one solution, and that is found at the feet of Jesus. That peace, Amen. that safety, that protection, even in the midst of these horrific things, it's found at the feet of Jesus. And, and spending time mm -hmm. with him, reading the Bible, uh, go to church, you know, find, find someone that can disciple you and, and share the Word of God with you to encourage you. You know, I, I want to share some things to end the podcast, but before I do that, uh, Dustin, something that I didn't mention about you, uh, you have been you have been very active in some of the places where you've had the opportunity to minister with uh, causes of uh, the, the whenever there was uh, unsettledness in certain cities, when there were riots and things, you. You know, when other pastors were sitting comfortably behind their pulpits, you were out on the street with your church members. And and things like what's happening, although not as drastic what's happening in, in Israel, but the idea of social unrest and, and these things, you have in, in your ministry been involved with things like that. Can you just share just a little bit of an experience that you had? I know when you were you were in Minnesota when was it Fernando Castile was was killed? Mm -hmm. I think that's what, uh, can you just talk a little bit about that so that, you know, people understand that this is not just, we're not talking theory, we're talking practice here. Yeah, so uh, it's one of the most incredible and awe-inspiring experiences of my life that I've ever had. Um, 
when Philando Castile was shot and killed by a police officer in St. Paul, which was the neighboring city I was in Minneapolis. And um, there was heartbreak throughout the city, understandably. There was racial tension. There was, uh, you know, calls for all kinds of political moves to be made. But the city was being, was breaking apart because of so much heartbreak, and understandably so. And I pastored a very multicultural church in, in Minnesota, in Minneapolis. And uh, there were a large uh, African contingent there from Kenya. We had African-Americans, obviously a white population. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have hope and bring healing in my community, not just in the walls of my church, but in my community I'm supposed to have that healing presence because that's what Jesus would do. So I was praying about what I was going to do. And it was the it was a couple of days after the shooting had taken place, and there was a lot of protests going on. And um, we had children's story at our church. That's where the kids come forward and somebody shares a story for the kids. And I had at that time been praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Is there something I can do? And I was leaning toward doing nothing because... I didn't know what to do, and frankly, I was a little afraid because people think that if you're for one thing, you're against something else. If you so, show support for you know, the black community when a, a black life is taken, that means automatically that you're against the police. You know, That's how polarized our world has gotten. So I was afraid to wade into any of that. But at Children's Story, my son was about three at the time, blonde-haired, blue-eyed little boy. He comes up and he sits on the front, the front step. And next to him comes an African-American little boy. And that African-American boy sits down right next to my son and he puts his arm around him and puts his head on his shoulder. And I said, all right, that's it. (laughs) I've got to do something. I can't sit idly by. If these two little boys can show that kind of childlike faith and love in each other, I need to be able to do something in my city. So I said, Uh, I announced it to church. I said, we're going to go down to the protest and um, we're just going to pray with people. We're going to be a healing Christ-like presence in the midst of all of this tension and and unrest. So uh, we went after church. We we gathered a group of people that wanted to go and we went down to the the protest in front of the governor's mansion. The first thing that we did was we prayed Uh, with every police officer that was around the perimeter. We prayed with the mayor and the the chief of police, asked for their protection, asked for their clarity of mind, asked for them to, uh, you know, look at the situation, do whatever they can in the future to avoid things like that. I mean, it was just, it was beautiful, and they thanked us. So we leave the police around the perimeter, and we're walking down the middle of the street toward the protest. And of course, I had a very multicultural group. I was still in my church clothes, so I was kind of dressed up. And there's a guy kind of, he's, he's talking through the megaphone. And one of the guys comes out of the crowd, or out from the front of the crowd, and he comes up to us and he says, who are you? Why are you here? He wanted to know what who we were. He wanted to make sure that we weren't there to break up his protest. And uh, he he asked me who we were and why we were there. I said, I'm Dustin Hall. I'm the pastor of the Southview Seventh Adventist Church. And we're just here to support people, to, to cry with people, to pray with people, to bring hope and healing in any way that we can. I said, you know, we're not looking for any platform. We're just here for people. And he looked at me 
And he thought for a minute. He said, okay. So you see that guy with the megaphone right now? As soon as he's done, I want you to come up to the front and I want you to pray for the entire group, for the entire uh -huh. crowd. And there's two or 300 people there at that point. And sure enough, I wasn't ready for that. I didn't go prepared for that at all. I didn't know what I was going to, what to expect at all. So he hands me the megaphone and he says, wait, he said, before you pray, I want all of us to get in a big circle hold and hold hands. Mm. So he gathers these two or 300 people in this giant circle. And there were people there for all sorts of different reasons. They pause and we're all bowing our heads together. And I pray the gospel of Jesus into this situation, into their lives. I pray for peace. I pray for hope. I pray for justice. I pray for all the things that God offers us. And uh, when I was done, just the whole tone of the, the, the protest changed. I met Philando Castile's family. His mother was crying on my shoulder. I had people come up to me and say, my pastor wouldn't come. We asked him to come and just be here, and he wouldn't come. And here you are. And um, my, my members, they're, they're talking to our members, asking us where we were from and what church we were from, and they're sharing why they were there and why they felt so passionately about the situation. It was just an incredible experience. And, and I went home, and there, there are few, uh, few examples in all of our lives where you just feel the weight of the world and also the presence of God on you. And I went home and I felt that so heavily. I just collapsed into my wife's arms and I just cried. Mm. I, it was just so incredible what happened there that I, you know, I didn't even know how to process it all, but I knew that the Spirit of God descended and He brought hope and healing to such a volatile situation. And um, it was life-changing. I'll never forget it. Yeah, you know, I... I... I listen to what you're sharing there, and I'm thinking about what's happening over there in uh, in Gaza and in Israel, and and there's a part of me that's wishing that uh, God would send a, and not to puff you up, but I mean God would send a Dustin Hall over there to to pray for the pray for the love of God to be there, for the peace of God, for the justice of God to be there, because there there's a desperate need for that. There's a lot of death. A lot of pain right now, a lot of hate, and we desperately need the presence of Jesus there to make to do something because uh, I I do wonder where all this is headed, just in terms of um what it what it's going to mean for people. People are afraid of World War Three as a sign of the end. I'm just thinking World War Three is not good any kind of way you cut it. And, and whether it's a, a biblical prophetic uh, um, significance or not, it's just we don't want that. Hundreds and thousands of people's lives may be on the line right now. We need the peace of God to reign there. Well, you know, you know I think as you say that, in, in any time there's a, a natural disaster or something major that happens in our world, you hear these stories of people that courageously stand up and, and they represent God whether that's saving a life, whether that's dragging, dragging a brother or sister out of harm's way, whether that's praying at a protest, whatever it might be, there's always people that God has in every situation. The difference in my, my story is people stopped to listen when the Lord was speaking. Mm -hmm. When the Lord was moving, people stopped to listen. And I, I, for too long in the Middle East, people have not been listening. 
And it, just imagine what the Middle East would be like to this day had those people that, that God's special blessings were sent to for, for generations since ancient times. God has been speaking to those people. Imagine if they had been listening all this time. And yeah. so I pray that the people that are there on the ground that are bringing Christ to this situation, I don't think the geopolitical situation is going to change much, but I pray for each individual soul and each individual heart to listen to when God is speaking to them. And the same goes for this podcast. I pray that each individual who's hearing this, they'll listen when God is speaking to them. Amen. Amen. You know, I want to bring the podcast to a close, and, and I want to speak specifically to those of you, if you are seeing what's happening in the news, you know, uh, and, and wondering what this all means, if you're concerned about the future, if you have uh, if you have young people that are in the military who are active, if you're concerned about a draft, if you're concerned about what this will mean just as it relates to Bible prophecy. I want to share a couple of verses with you as, as we end the podcast. And I, I would recommend go to Matthew chapter 24, read the chapter, because Jesus talks to the disciples about what things will look like in the end. But there are a few verses that I want to pull out of you before I end the pull out of it before I end the podcast. And Matthew chapter 24, I'm verses 29 to 31. Jesus says this. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, that's bad. <laughs> that is not good. But listen to what he says. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. So God is trying to tell his disciples, guys, things are going to get difficult. But it's this world is not going to end with one giant nuclear explosion, and that'll be the end of it. Because Jesus is coming, and he will be here to rescue us from this. But there's a couple of other verses I want to share in verse 36 uh, and 42, but, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but the Father only. And But the one text here, it says, is, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. I, I want to encourage you today, as you're listening to this podcast, yes, there are things happening over in the Middle East. Yes, it is serious. Yes, it is heartbreaking. It, it merits us paying attention to it. However, there's something in your own life that you need to be even more concerned about, and that is your eternal future. Where are you with the Jesus question? What have you done with the question of the claims of Jesus on your life? You need to get to know him. You need to be settled. It is those people who, as Dustin was saying, if you're part of the family of Abraham, the promises that God made to Israel are promises that he's made to you. But it's up to you. You need to make good choices. Jesus is coming soon. I have chosen to be a part of the family of Abraham. Pastor Hall, you've chosen to be part of the family of Abraham, and we encourage you to make that decision as well. Now, uh, this is our take, Pastor Dustin and my take, and this is what I consider 
inspiration to go.